holy God, holy God who invites us to come close, not just within the outer courts, but into the throne room, not just to sit at your feet, but to know your embrace. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Just take your seats a moment, would you please? If you want to stay kneeling or if you want to get on your face, feel free to do that. There are three fundamentals to our faith. There's the the incarnate, the incarnation of Jesus who took on the form of flesh. He came and dwelt among us, gave up the riches of heaven and glory to come and become one of us. Then is that incarnate Jesus who gave his life upon the cross and as we celebrated in communion, paid the ultimate sacrifice and gave himself so that we could live free. He exchanged his righteousness for our sin. And he didn't just stay dead, but he rose triumphantly from the grave. And then we see that another absolute fundamental point of the scriptures and of the story of salvation is that Jesus told the disciples that it was good that he would then ascend to heaven. And right now, Jesus is not on the earth. He's not in this room. He sat at the right hand of the Father praying for you. That's where he lives. Jesus is not in your heart. He's in heaven next to the Father. But he said, it's good that I go because the Holy Spirit comes. And the day that you gave your life to Christ is the day that the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to your need of a Savior. Without the Holy Spirit, you could not know that. It's the Holy Spirit who comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness. And Jesus saying to his disciples, it's good that I'm going to leave you because there's another who will come. And his name is the Holy Spirit. I've been so amazed at the journey of the Holy Spirit in my life. As an eight-year-old, 
stood around a campfire in the forest of Dean where somebody gave an opportunity for anyone present around that campfire to know Jesus personally as their Savior. And the Spirit opened my eyes as an eight-year-old and I responded to the gospel and I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And then even in my childhood and my youth, I was aware that the Holy Spirit was directing me and he was helping me become more like Christ. He was helping transform me into the image of Christ because the Holy Spirit doesn't just open our eyes, but he partners with us to make us like Christ. He's renewing us. He's transforming us. He's present with us all the time. I remember as a 14-year-old desiring what we read forward in Acts 8, where we read that Philip, the evangelist, was preaching, and there were many people that responded to the gospel message, just like I did as an eight-year-old around that campfire. But that the apostles, they had heard this message of many people who had received the good news of the kingdom and of the gospel, but knew that even though they were being baptized in water, even though they'd received salvation, that there was something else for them that we will now call the subsequent baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's another experience for believers. And it says in verse 14 of Acts 8, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon the believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, he's renewing us, he's transforming us, he's making us into the image of God. He comes and dwells in us. The Bible describes us as temples of the Spirit. But he's also wanting to empower us. Because your life is not simply about getting through this world and scraping your way through with all the measurements this world offers the Holy Spirit is not some strategy for you to get a bigger, better house, a bigger, better pension, a nicer job, a better body. That's not the Holy Spirit's primary purpose and function in our life. It's to lead us into adventures that the Spirit of God is doing on the earth today. There are things that the Spirit of the Lord is up to on the earth today. And He has come to fill us, not just because He's homeless and He's looking for someone to live, but He's looking for people that He can push out into the mission and say, join me, join me. And let's be honest, we've transformed the filling of the Spirit to be something that's about great blessing in our lives. And we travel around the world to conferences. We go and ask people to lay hands upon us so that we may feel blessed. And it's like, yeah, this is good. I enjoy this. And we've never had so much blessing in our lives, church. You can sit in the comfort of your home, and many of you are doing that today. And we're delighted that you're able to join with us. It's lovely. There are people here in the room this morning that have been watching this online. There's a couple here from the Wirral in Liverpool area that watch online every week, and they're with us in person. Let's give them a round of applause and welcome. <laughs> lovely to see you. Yesterday, a whole bunch of men gathered on the beach for a hangout together, and there were men there that 
during the pandemic have given their lives to Jesus online and they were with us for the first time. There are others who've joined with us as a church and they've been inspired and blessed. And this is the first time they were meeting anybody in person. God has been at work. But it's not about us getting blessed from the comfort of our home or even the comfort of our church buildings. It's about the Spirit filling us because there is a mission that He's calling us to. There's an adventure that He's pushing us out into. But He is a gentleman and He won't he won't stand in front of what you want to do and say you're not doing that. I've, I've now got full possession rights of your life and therefore you're going to do what I say. That's not what he does. In Romans 8, it talks about those who, are control, those who are full of the Spirit are controlled by the Spirit. But the control is not the sort of control that's dogmatic and says you're going to do this and you're going to do that. That's not the control of the Spirit. The Spirit, the control that the Spirit wants to have in our life is a control where he speaks and we obey. Because we've chosen to. He'll always give us options. When Jesus spoke to the disciples and they were struggling to catch any fish in their nets, and he shouted from the shore and said, put the nets on the other side. I asked the other day as I was reading that, Jesus, why didn't the fish just swim to the other side of the boat where they were already fishing? You could have made them just jump out of the water into the boat if you wanted to, Jesus. If you wanted to show your spectacular, miraculous hand, you could have done that any way you wanted. Why ask them to put the nets on the other side? It's because God always asks us for a step of obedience to do something that's outside of our norm in order as our act of saying, we trust you. It's the way he works. And when you're controlled by the Spirit, he'll always give us an option. We can carry on putting our nets down the way we've always done it, or we can... Listen to his voice and follow his promptings. Those who are full of the Spirit, obey the Spirit. Live according to the Spirit. And we see here that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, not as a mechanism of blessing, but as a mechanism of empowerment. Because the apostles knew that without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we would have a form of godliness without power. We would form religion now, I know as Pentecostals, we're brilliant at saying, we're not religious, we have a relationship. And then we go and do religious things all day. And we think that it's about doing religious activity. Just because we don't swing around incense and we don't ring bells doesn't mean we're not religious, guys. Just because you speak in tongues rather than speak in Latin doesn't make you not religious. Religion is when you do something without power, when you do something without reality and authenticity in our lives. Religion is when you go through the motions and there's nothing of dynamism in it. Religion is when you go to church and, it, and you're not really full of expectation and faith about meeting with the saints of God. Religion is when you do your Bible readings and you have no expectation that this is the power of God. Religion is when you pray and you feel like it's putting a message in a bottle and tossing it in the ocean and hoping that God will get it sometime. Religion is going through stuff that we call the activity of the Christian faith and having no understanding of its power and its significance. And the Holy Spirit is the one that comes to our life and changes our habits and changes our activity to be of power. You know, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Pentecost. If those disciples had remained in the upper room and the Holy Spirit had not come upon them, they wouldn't have bold and emboldened gone into the streets. 
They wouldn't have risen up in the power. They wouldn't have taken this to the far-flung corners of the earth. They needed the Holy Spirit, and so do we. When I was, when I was 16, some of you may recall I've shared this story, I think, once before. I went to a large gathering, and there was a very famous preacher that was renowned for moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he asked for all the under-18s to come forward. And I went to the front along with a whole line of other people in my age category. And he said, I'm going to pray now that God will show you his heart. And all he said was, God, reveal your heart. Immediately, the Holy Spirit revealed to me just something of a glimpse of the heart of God. Do you know what it did to me? It didn't cause me to laugh with joy. It didn't cause me to lift my hands and say, wow, God, you're amazing. It caused me to buckle over with pain. I couldn't stand. I cried out. And it felt like I was in that posture for ages. It probably was 30 seconds to a minute. And then the speaker said, God, lift it. It's too much for them to bear. You know, the heart of God for the nations. If we are having a form of godliness without power, if we are living a religion without a relationship, if we are forming habits without purpose, if we are living this life without the Spirit's empowerment, then what will happen? is that we will do what everyone else does in this world. We will live with the same goals, the same objectives, the same idols. And we've all, we all face them. We all are faced with the challenges of things that we've idolized in our culture. Idols are not just material things, sometimes they're aspirational things. You know, sometimes I see, you know, parents sort of, and I believe in education, and thank God for education opportunities we have in this country, but sometimes, you know, parents are like, yeah, the kids need to go and get a degree, and they need to go to university. Did you ask God whether that's the best for their life? Or is that like a cultural idol? Or we want what's best for our kids. I tell you what's best for your kids. You living your life on fire for God and setting a godly example for them. That's the best thing for your kids. It's better than an education. It's better than good health. It's better than a nice inheritance at the end of their life. It's seeing their family on fire for the Lord, full of the Holy Spirit and power. And church, we call ourselves Pentecostal. We call ourselves Spirit-filled. And maybe... We qualify that because we've got a freedom in our worship and we've got a conviction that believes in the theology of the presence of the Holy Spirit today in our lives. 
Then he brings gifts of the Spirit. And maybe you say, I'm Pentecostal because I prophesy. I'm Pentecostal because I speak in tongues. Let me tell you, you're only really Pentecostal if you allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow in your sails and take you wherever he wants to. That's the only qualification, really, of Pentecostal. See, when I see boats out on the ocean, there are those who've got their own engine, and there are those who rely on the wind. And sometimes the things that we do in church, they're engines. They're things that determine our own future, determine our own direction. But the God has called his church to be a sailing boat, not a speedboat. He's called us to be a people that respond to Jesus said, the wind blows where it wills. That means that the church post-pandemic may look very different to the church pre-pandemic. Not because the pandemic has necessarily changed us, but because the Spirit might be doing something new. And the question is, are we going to stay in the water with our sails set in the direction that it was previously? Or are we going to feel for which way the wind's blowing? Because being Pentecostal is not just about speaking in tongues, having a theology of the gifts of the Spirit. It's about setting your sail. And saying, blow me. That sounds like a cultural sort of expression, doesn't it? Don't. Lord, help me to go wherever you want me to go. See, the Holy Spirit's moving. The Holy Spirit is not standing still. He's brooding across the face of the earth. He's not wanting to put a plaque on your life and say, this is now where I live. Isn't it lovely? Look what a lovely temple I've got for myself. The Holy Spirit is looking to supercharge your life and to take you to the corners of the earth with the best message this world could ever hear. And he wants you to go in his compassion, with his heart, with his truth. And there's a baptism in his spirit. That's not just a one-off experience, but it's a regular infilling in our lives. Church, I don't know what sort of church we're going to have in the months and years ahead. Are you okay with me being a bit vulnerable with you right now? I don't know who's still a part of us. Do you know, during the height of the pandemic, I was really tempted to send out a survey and say, hey guys, just, you know, who's part of Rediscover? And, you know, just, I know some of you moved on. And, and I was reading about King David, who, against the leading of the Lord, sent a survey out into his nation to determine what strength he had. And I felt God say the reason that was wrong was because I wanted him to have his confidence in me, not in the numbers of people in his nation. And I felt God say, don't survey. Dig into me. Find out my heart. Find out what I'm saying. Because a church with 10 people with their sails set up is better than a church of 10,000 with their speedboat engines wanting to do their own thing. 
and I sense that God is looking for a new level of availability in our lives and he's wanting to move across the face of the earth with new power, with new life, with new hope. I believe there's a reformation that's rising up across the nations and what the enemy has intended for harm through the pandemic, God is wanting to turn around for good, for his glory and I believe we are on the verge of one of the greatest moves of God that the nations have ever seen. I believe we're on the edge of seeing the outpouring of the Spirit afresh through the church of Jesus Christ. And if we want to hold on to our buildings, if we want to hold on to our seats, if we want to stay settled in our homes, if we want to just have a little bit of Bible teaching, if we want to have a little bit of speaking in tongues, if we want to have a little bit of singing, listen, whether these masks come off or not, it makes no difference. It's what's in our heart. It's what's in our lives. If you have a mask that's off and you can sing as loud as you want, but your sail is not set to the blowing of the Spirit, it is pointless. It is like a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal without the love of Christ driving our lives and our availability to His purposes. And I believe with all my heart that the future of church is probably going to look really different. I don't want anybody to be condemned about this. But I think a lot of people used to come to church out of habit. It's what they always did. Just come week after week. And you've had 18 months of a broken habit. And now you find that what you're left with, it wasn't that you were gathering because you were enthusiastic about gathering with the saints, about being built up and edified, and some coming with a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song, and a scripture to build others up. You were just coming because it was a habit. And the habit's gone. And so have you. Maybe you'll catch up on this a little bit later after you've been to your garden center. <laughs> Listen, I don't want you to feel condemned about that because I don't want anybody to be a part of this because they're condemned into it. I want people to be inspired by what the Spirit's doing on the earth. But what the Spirit's doing on the earth requires a yes. Yeah. It requires a sail to be set. Yeah. It requires a posture of our hearts. And whether you say, I'm going to go to church once a month or once a year or I'm going to watch online every week. It, it, it doesn't really matter, although the Bible does say, don't forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's a good thing for our lives, but it's not because this is our vending machine of spiritual top-up for the week. It's meant to be a good thing to do because we're meant to be a body that strengthens one another, that edifies one another, that encourages and exhorts one another to step into the purpose and the fullness of God. Instead, we become therapeutic environments. We have nice worship. And we feel better for it. Like as if it's all about you. We're coming to give Him glory because He has radically transformed our lives. And if you never feel a dot in worship ever again, it makes no difference because he has already done more than you ever deserved. He's already gone further than we've ever deserved in our lives. And so if we never sense the Spirit one more time on our lives, it would make no difference because I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing because we give him our whole hearts because he has given him his whole self to us. And we want our lives to be postured in light of his glory and strength and his might and his wonder. 
You know, even the gifts of the Spirit, we get a bit competitive about it sometimes. It, almost like it becomes about us. You know, oh, they're a great prophet, aren't they? It must offend the nostrils of God, the amount of ways that we've worked out how to abuse the things of God in our lives. The things become about us. You know, one of the things that we try to do very, as much as we can, and none of us are perfect on this at all. We all need each other. We need to keep accountable to each other. We need to sharpen one another. But we want to make sure that this platform is not, it doesn't have people on it that are looking for attention. Because we're meant to point the attention to Jesus. And I don't want people rising up in the prophetic or the miraculous or signs and wonders because they're trying to bring attention to themselves or make a name for themselves. That story I read of Philip leading the community to the Lord and Peter and John going and seeing the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There was a, a sorcerer called Simon and he said, give me that. I want to have that. How much can I pay to have that gift? Because he wanted to make it about himself. Peter said, yeah, it's offensive. Because God is looking for a church where it's not about us. It's not about what we do, but it's about him. And let me tell you, I believe the church of post-pandemic is going to look radically different because it's going to be a church where the church, you know, I, I don't want this to happen, but I think there are going to be churches closed in the next few years. Because what's happened, COVID is an accelerant. If you are having a marriage difficulty now post-COVID, you probably had one pre-COVID. It's just magnified it. If there were family tensions, those are probably existing pre-COVID. This pandemic has just intensified it. Doesn't make it any easier to deal with, but that's the reality. Businesses that have gone to the wall in the last 18 months had problems before COVID. It's just accelerated it. They probably would have gone bust in a few years' time. And I don't want this to happen, but churches that have failed to put their sail up and they've made it about themselves and leaders and churches that have made it about trying to protect and guard and control what God wants to do. I believe they're going to be working against God and, it, and there's going to be an exposing of that. And there are going to be churches that are going to close you know my heart for the wider church. You know that we're part of the body of Christ and I, I, I place much significance in the power of relationship that I have right across Christendom. It's not about one denomination. This is not about Pentecostal or not Pentecostal. This is about people making themselves available to what God wants to do. And I believe if this is a time of reckoning that churches that are about themselves, churches that are about what they're doing, churches that are about building their own kingdom will be going against the purposes of God and their power boat will run out of engine and they will be left behind. Because the church of the future has a sail, not a power boat. And the wind blows us. In the future, I believe that there are assignments that you and I are going to face about letting our nets down on the other side of the boat that are going to challenge us so much. 
I don't believe that God will ever ask me when I get to heaven, so Mark, how big was the church you led? I don't think that's going to be even framing in the top thousand questions he wants to ask me. Not because he already knows the answer. I don't think he's going to say, so tell us, what new songs did you sing? Tell us, Mark, how many likes did you get on Facebook from your sermons? How many books did you write? God's not going to be the slightest bit interested in that. I tell you what he's going to be interested in. What have you done with the mission that I gave you? And that's it. What have you done with my son? How have you lived your life in obedience to him? Four years ago, our elders, in one of our meetings, we meet weekly, we have done throughout the pandemic, what an amazing team we have. Four years ago, we gathered in my home And I think leaning into some of the things that we didn't know were coming, we felt God challenge us with a question that if seeing the kingdom of God come in the Southwest meant that we would get smaller, what do I mean by that? Well, we just send people out, continually send people out, release them into their destinies. And I felt, we felt God challenge us. that what would you choose? Would you choose to get smaller if the kingdom got bigger? And I can tell you, unanimously, we said yes. You know the church in the future, I believe there'll be times when suddenly there'll be a big empty patches of seats on chairs, not because of social distancing, but because we've just sent another 30 people out to plant another church because we've just released someone else to travel to the ends of the earth with the gospel, because we've released someone else into fulfilling the purposes of God, because we've sent them with our blessing. The goal of your relationship with this church is not how long you're here. The goal of your relationship with this church is setting your sail to go with whatever the Spirit of God asks you. And it's the role of the leadership of the church not to tell you what that is, or not to direct your steps, or not to show you a professional example of how that happens. The role of the leadership of this church is to empower and celebrate you and release you with the blessing of God and say, go and make disciples of all nations. Because that call is not to the leaders, that's to the people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And we're not filled with the Holy Spirit just so we can have a jolly, just so that we can have our own version of partying together. We're filled with the Holy Spirit so we can go to the nations, so we can rise up. There are villages in the southwest. There are towns in the southwest. There are cities in the southwest that need spirit-filled believers. Your community, what would it be like some of these friendships you formed in the last 18 months? What would it look like for you to contact your neighbors and say, hey, would you like to come around my home and do an alpha course with me? Maybe some of you new online friends. What would it be like to say, hey, six friends, why don't we do an alpha course online together? We'll train you, we'll equip you, we'll empower you. But the point is this. We're not trying to build this bigger. We're trying to serve what the Holy Spirit's doing. And if we can be a church that will set our sail, 
I believe we'll be a church that will serve the purposes of God in our generation. Let's stand together. There's a weightiness here. Would you just lift your hands? If you actually don't lift your hands a moment. I'm going to ask you if you want to say, God, I let go of the engine and I lift up the sails. And that's a costly prayer. It may involve you downsizing your home. It may involve you making radical changes. It may involve you laying aside some idols in your life. But it's a prayer that says, I want nothing more than to go wherever the wind blows. So think about it for a moment. Because this is big. And when you're ready, either make that decision by keeping your hands by your side and say, God, I've got to be honest with you. I don't think I can do this yet. It's okay. I respect that honesty, and so does God. He sees everything anyway, so there's no point pretending. But if your prayer is, Holy Spirit, I want to go wherever you go. I want to do whatever you say. I want to flow wherever you want to flow. I want to be an army. Would you lift your hands and say, my sail is set? going to say, I'm lifting my hands and saying, God, I don't want to be a, just a conventional leader doing conventional things. I want, to, I want to be an obedient son. Whatever you ask of me, oh God, I want to serve you. Holy Spirit, breathe upon us wherever you will. Breathe upon us, oh God. Holy Spirit be filled with the Holy Spirit and hear him whisper the word go go lift up the anchors of disappointment Release the security of that rope that's tied up in the harbor. And the Spirit says, go. Go. Go venture. 